0: Charlie Brown! a Charlie Brown!
1: I can't believe it. She must think I'm the most stupid person alive. Come on, Charlie Brown. I'll hold the ball and you kick it. Hold it? Ha! You'll pull it away and I'll land flat on my back and kill myself. But, Charlie Brown, it's Thanksgiving! What's that got to do with anything? Well, one of the greatest traditions we have is the Thanksgiving Day football game. And the biggest, most important tradition of all is the kicking off of the football. Is that right? Absolutely. Come on, Charlie Brown. It's a big honor for you. Well, if it's that important, a person should never turn down a big honor. Maybe I should do it. Besides, she wouldn't try to trick me on a traditional holiday. It's time I'm going to kick that football clear to the moon. Up goes across. New Year is there and Wednesday scramble an equalizer
0: and it's at the New Year's First goal in an absolute age, and Wednesday may be about to rescue a point out of Ipswich!
1: We're talking Turkey this week on a hopefully abbreviated edition of the Owls Americas, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and in the interest of full disclosure, we recorded this entire segment already, and uh, it didn't record my part, possibly because I screwed something up after having a seasonally appropriate Berman County stout. We will soldier on again, and I have now procured a seasonably appropriate unfiltered cranberry cider from down east. With us, our Ohio Owl who, according to Owl's talk, probably deep fried his turkey and covered it in cheese. Evan Skelter. Evan, what are you drinking now?
2: Well, right now I have some Blanton's bourbon. I actually just refilled it since the the last first segment. Um, So yeah, it's it's a great bourbon. Actually, my favorite bourbon. It's from Buffalo Trace Distillery down in Frankfort, Kentucky. And it's extremely hard to get in Ohio. So I often have to make special trips down to Kentucky just to get a bottle. I
1: feel like I've heard this story before. Also with us this week, the man that has been preemptively banned from the Reading Festival based on this week's agenda, James Allen. James, what are you drinking?
3: Good evening, Jeff. Uh, I've changed my beer. So uh, earlier on, I was I was telling you about my escapade up uh, upstate today to uh, to go and buy a Christmas tree yesterday being okay, so
1: People that does it the day after Thanksgiving.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm nothing if not a, uh, a glutton for a completely inherited culture that, mm. uh, that probably isn't necessarily the, the right way to do things. So I was drinking a, um, a Megaboth IPA from the Newburgh uh, Brewing Company uh, from a very nice craft beer store I found somewhere on the way. Um, but that can is now empty, so I've switched to a much more potent uh, Imperial Stout. So I'm drinking the uh, Imperial Biscotti Break from Evil Twin Brewing, which is... Um, anybody who's uh, tried an evil twin imperial stout will know it's pretty uh, pretty punchy at about 12% so I don't know how long I'll be awake in this podcast but I'll try my best
1: and once again we will cover the games of this past week Bristol City and Ipswich Town both kind of similar, both kind of dog shit performances, James
3: yeah um, I don't know where to start, Jeff because there's not a lot of positives to be perfectly honest um, I mean, it, wh- what I will say is that the the Bristol game, I think, that was probably good. And I, I'm, I'm using Bristol in the there's a, a preeminent team in Bristol, which is Bristol City. I accept that there are two teams in Bristol. I don't want to cause any offence uh, in terms of just using the uh, the Bristol designation. But you know, I thought they actually came and tactically set up very well at Hillsborough. They 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 understood our our style. They they adjusted their their formation uh, in mid-game dropping, Bobby Reed really a little bit deeper. Um, I think by their own uh, admission to try and counter the threat that Hooper proposed when he was trying to link up defence and, uh, and attack, uh, midfield and attack. And that kind of density in midfield really thwarted us, and, and we couldn't really get our game going. Um, the difference at Ipswich, I think, was simply that that was a a very disappointing Wednesday performance, and, and to some extent we we got lucky to get away with a point. Um, and maybe over the course of two games we, we might consider ourselves to have done okay to, to get two points from two teams that are higher up in the table against us but frankly, you know, that's, the, that's the sort of achievement that you would celebrate in mid-table it's not the sort of achievement you would celebrate if you're going for automatic promotion and you know this time last week I was saying we just have to win these games that's, that's the objective we didn't win either so, so not okay in my book
1: Evan, you're a little bit more pleased with the results this week?
2: Well, uh, just in taking the, the glass-half-full approach, you know, we... We're Evan, did you, did you get that from Carlos, by the Yeah, actually I did. Is that
3: alright? His post-match interview, he's, uh, he's quoting glass-half-full,
2: glass-half-empty. Yeah, yeah.
1: Carlos, Carlos if you're, is you're a listening, is he, li- he so might be listening to the show.
2: Right. So, so, I agree with you, James, that these were two tough matches not to get three points out of, three points from each, but... There's no question that our squad is missing something, right? We, we're still trying to put something together this season, uh, and, and I'm not sure what it is or what it will take. But in the process of trying to figure this out, we are unbeaten in five matches. We still are in reach of a, a top-six finish. And so I guess the reason I'm, I'm sort of pleased, yes, I would have, would have liked to win. I think we should have won both. But the reason I'm sort of pleased is that we're still missing something. Something still isn't going right for us, but we haven't fallen too far behind. So hopefully that gets sorted. And once it does, I think we'll look back at this stretch of of five unbeaten and say, well, it's a, a damn good thing that we didn't drop a couple of those matches because we needed those points.
3: How far is too far, though? I mean, you know, granted, if we win on Wednesday night, I think we'd have gone maybe gone seventh. Um and we'd have been, you know, right there in the thick of the playoffs. But you look at Aston Villa who, you know, we had a great great result against, a great performance against, but they're they're kind of really kind of beginning to motor now. I think they're up to fourth. You look at the, the way the teams above us are holding station. This is increasingly looking like a mid table season unless we find whatever that hidden answer is, Evan. Um, you know, how, how long how long do we accept this? Because you can see that the fan base is creaking in terms of acceptance. Or rather, lack thereof, you know, and, and I, I'm just beginning to wonder whether maybe this squad has has kind of reached its zenith, and and you know may, maybe January coming up, it's only a month away now, which is incredible, is is kind of apt because it's time for a rebuilding job.
2: Well, I, I think that I think that we let it go until toward the end of January when we figure out what what kind of changes we've made in January. You know, if we're still playing this way, we're still in reach of a top six spot. And then in January, we fill some holes in the club. Um, and we'll talk about it later. But I think right mid right now is, is kind of a hole that we need to fill. Um, I think if we get those sorted in January, or at least it looks like we did, then, you know, we're back to being optimistic and excited uh, right now. You know, and Jeff said it a couple of times at the beginning of the year. He said, yeah, I'm not going to look at the table until January. Well, January's coming up. We have about a month to get it together. Uh, I personally give them another month to, excuse me, another month to uh, get some pieces back in place. And then if after January, it looks like we are just an abysmal club, then all of a sudden there has to be some changes and uh, we might have to start looking at uh, some other options.
1: For the record, I haven't looked at the table yet and probably won't till around Christmas, but I do wonder if our best options in January are a right mid or a more attack minded player. If it's one or possibly two centre-backs at this point now, James.
3: Well, I'm, I'm going to go for two straight away, just on the basis of the fact that, you know, the, the Lees and Leuven's partnership, that for for years we've sort of, you know, we've kind of, we, we kind of took it for granted, maybe. Uh, we certainly kind of assumed it was our backbone, and, and up until this season it has been, but it, it, it it's falling apart. Um you know, I, I think we've all felt that maybe Tom Lees has been coming off a, a high for the last maybe ten, twelve months, um, and his form hasn't been what what you would hope it would be. But Glenn Luevens, since he's come back in, and everybody I know has got enormous respect for Luevens, and 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 will continue to do so. He's a he's a very very good ambassador for the club and and a, and a strong captain, uh, as far as I can tell. You know, around the the premises and in the dressing room, but on the pitch, he's he, he's lost. He seems to have lost judgment as well as pace. And and you know, for example, that that tackle against McGoldrick on on halfway uh, against Ipswich in the fourth minute. I mean, you know, quite frankly, he should have been red carded for that. And the, and the <laughs> the replays are appalling. Um, you feel for the guy because uh, I think he, he he nearly lost more than his ability to play in that game. And it, it probably would have led to the lineage of his family if um, if Levens had been about an inch to the left. But it was. It was just shockingly poor judgment, and it it comes after shockingly poor judgment in the the kind of bundling over of a uh, Vidra against Derby, the the kind of the lunge on halfway that led to the goal uh, for Millwall at equaliser a couple of weeks ago. We can't put up with that, and and we know that Tom Lee's you know needs to play alongside someone who is who is controlling the back line with far more experience and far more. Uh, just gravitas than than uh, Joss Van Aken can uh, can can muster right now. So, yeah, I mean, we're faced with a really difficult situation where we, we perhaps are questioning the entire the integrity of our back four, um, and that that just isn't, as we know, the foundation to, to build a promotion-winning side.
1: And it comes at a time too where I think Jack Hunt has looked better in defence, and Morgan Fox has solidified left back, but both goals against Ipswich were as easy as you'd like and we've always looked shaky on set pieces and if we're going to be this sort of for lack of a better word ponderous going forward we're gonna have to win some games one nil as it were and the back four doesn't look really capable of keeping clean sheets consistently
2: yeah there there have been a few times actually that uh, I've just been irate after a goal and, and it's tough it's tough on iFollow because the goal happens and you don't really get to go back and watch from a few different angles. Um, you kind of know what happened, but you don't. Well, know I have exactly some good news for you
1: about the last goal against Ipswich, then Evan. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. That replay was awful. Uh, to to see Lee's just turn around and watch a man go straight at the goal like that uh, was was, uh, it was it was awful. It was sickening. I and mean, it was the worst and, kind uh, of ball watching. It was. It was absolutely. And I think we've seen a couple like that from our center uh, center backs. This. This year, so a couple, <laughs> yeah, right.
3: Oh it, no, guys! I mean, the, the, the ball watching is the absolute statement, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Lee's. I mean, he I has, he's
1: right on his shoulder, and then it just.
3: And then, then he switches off. What he does is he switches off. He doesn't. He it's not so much that he's following the ball. He just he isn't he isn't engaged with the game for for the the split second that it requires for him to follow his man and and to to block that challenge. He just simply stands still and, and lets him ghost in behind, and that that's actually unacceptable. You know, if 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 any of us were managing a, a football team and, and we had players doing that, you, there's no way that you could tolerate that type of mistake.
2: Um, oh please, I, I coached I coached U U sixes like four years ago, and that's what I taught them. And that was the first thing I said was never give up. If you're if you're playing defense, don't let your man run away. If someone's going toward the goal, stop him from going toward the goal. You teach six year olds that, five year olds that. I mean, it's it's
3: teaching
1: six-year-olds professional fouls.
3: <laughs> but but is that where we've come to that? You know, we are uh, <laughs> we're starting to kind of equivalise. And look, I know footballers sometimes get a bad rep in terms of their mental age, but you know, we, we're starting to question the uh, <laughs> the, the equivalence of Wednesday's backline to uh, to a youth soccer club. You know, it's uh, just, that, that that's worrying, guys. I mean, that 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 tells you that we we've got bigger seated problems than whether the you know the answer is. is is Fessy coming back in, or should Addy start next week? I'm I'm kind of picking on a couple of deliberate talking points to to conversation to come. But you know, we we the foundation of a team that gets promoted is that you don't leak goals, and we've had that for the past two years. But it it, it, it is just falling away, and it's falling away right in the centre. I don't think we would necessarily say that our our fullbacks are world class, but they're certainly capable and competent. Um, the back two look shaky in every combination at the moment, and, and something has to be done. I had the probably the good fortune to be flying back across the Atlantic for the Ipswich game. So I, I didn't watch it live. I, uh, I got the benefit of Jeff's uh, tweets when I landed at JFK uh, and then saw the replays. So at least when I watched it in real time, it was, I, I knew what was coming, but you're absolutely right to be going apoplectic, Evan. There's just simply no excuse for the defending on either of those two goals. And there could I, have, easily I have to been...
2: ask, oh, I'm sorry, Jeff, but I, I have to ask you, James, when you got off the plane and you looked at some of the things that happened, um, you know, first of all, we got a penalty uh, actually called for us. Second of all, knew who you came in and scored in the ninety fifth or ninety fourth minute. I mean, what what went through your mind when you saw those? I actually thought it must have been an action packed and exciting evening
3: in Ipswich, which uh, which amazed me. And then I watched the replay and found out it wasn't. So um, yeah, I, I mean, it was uh, it was like a Thanksgiving miracle, I guess, the fact that we uh, we rescued the game at the last, but. Uh, you know, I, I guess the the overriding feeling, and I think I, I might have tweeted this at somebody when I was in the taxi on the way home, at kind of close to midnight, was it, the day that we're relying on Adi Nuhu to score a ninety fourth minute equaliser against Ipswich away is the day that we've suddenly jumped in a time machine and we've gone back four or five years. You know, we're we're, we're no forward further forward than we were at the beginning of the Carlos era, and I, I've I've been probably, you know, one of the more optimistic and trying to be more optimistic consistently through this season, both on this pod and, you know, in our conversations elsewhere. And it, it's just very, very hard to see where we go from here right now because you have the high of the game against Villa. We came off that and we said last week we need to get two results uh, from these two games. And and I, I could maybe give the squad a pass against Bristol City, where where I felt that they counted as well. The performance against Ipswich was just uh, just not acceptable. Not acceptable from a team that's in a position that we are, and I think it, it it is a symptom of the fact that something has to change.
1: And it's amazing even that they were in a position to equalize in the 93rd or 94th minute, just because with a little bit more clinical finishing or you know a misstep from Westwood here and there, they could have easily been two or three goals clear before the penalty even came in.
2: I don't have anything to add. Sorry. <laughs> I think we're you might have to apply a bit more,
0: Jeff.
1: That's fine. It's that a good time to move on to general Wednesday news. And while the first team is struggling a bit to get out of the mid table, the under 23s are flying at the top of the PDL North 2, or whatever they're calling it nowadays. Yeah, they beat uh, they beat
3: Hull of one nil I think at the weekend. Um, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? You know, at a time when we um, we we expected and expected demanded. Um, despaired for I don't know which what the right adjectives but you know we 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 wanted the first team to be in that position at the top of the championship this season and, and obviously we're having all the trials we've just been talking about our under 23s are really delivering that season right now you know and they, they came the back,
1: back the, against the blades and won
3: <laughs> they came back against the blades and won they're uh, they're kind of they're cavaliering at the top of their uh, top of their division they beat
1: hall they're settling all family debts Everything
3: that you would expect of a Wednesday side to finally kind of lay all of those ghosts to rest—they're doing so. So maybe we need to learn something from those guys. So you the, know, answer, know the, the answer, of course, players, Evan is let's, put, it, let's, uh, let's
1: find out what we can do. Put some of these players in the squad, right?
2: No, no, I don't think that's the answer. <laughs> At least not inserting them, you know, right away from the get-go. I, I think, you know, to be honest, something that's that's frustrated me this week uh, has just been. Seeing some of the narrow minded and nearsighted Wednesday supporters come out. Um, you know, New You scores a goal and everyone's calling for him to start the next match. I mean, that includes uh, me, but. <laughs> people, well, okay. People are adamant that, that Palmer should get a start at right back because he played a pretty good match at right mid a couple matches ago. Jack Hunt's been great. You know, someone suggested, you know, James, you just said it, uh, you know, we should try some youth up in the, the senior club because they're doing so well. And that's, that's, that's frustrating me incredibly because everyone thinks they have an answer and changes may be necessary, but those aren't it, you know, knew who you scored and that's great. But to to consider him a candidate to start over Rhodes, Fletcher, Hooper, I, I think that's wrong. Palmer played well. And you know how much I love Palmer, but he's you not, do he's love, not a, you
3: do love Liam Palmer. Don't I you? love yeah. Liam
2: Palmer, but he's not a better defender than hunt. And uh, right now, Wallace is probably better than him at getting up the right side from the midfield. So, you know, it should... goes
3: very slowly, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, did, did, did everyone see that kind of slow, creeping advance that Wallace put in against uh, Bristol City? It, it was sort of like watching a, a sort of a fast break on uh, on high slow mo, uh, except it was real time.
1: He had one against uh, Ipswich, too, where he drew a foul and kind of like cut back inside against two defenders, but it was literally like walking our friends in Canada, the walking uh, football pace. Right. Oh look, you, you back back
2: to the youth. You know, we, we're unbeaten in five straight matches. We're in a spot to to make the playoff, and you want to start experimenting with the lineup by inserting some young guys that haven't played. You know, I'm I'm happy about the U23 success. Don't get me wrong, um, but for heaven's sake, you know, let's get real about yeah, this. You know, I, if we're gonna I, I, if I, we're gonna start, sorry, but if we're gonna start inserting some, you know, let's let's put them in the club, you know, in the 18, and and uh, maybe send one in later in the match. You know, we experimented a little bit with Palmer and putting him at right mid, and it went well. You know, let's let's throw a couple of those young guys in later on in a match when we're winning or when uh, we need some some energy and see what happens. But you know, let's let's not go overboard.
3: I think that's it, actually, Evan. I mean, I, so I totally agree with you. There's you know, there's there's no place here for sort of you know suddenly plucking players out of the under twenty threes and sticking them in the match day squad. We're not in that position. Uh, we're still not in that position. Although you know, we we have been in the past, so we should remember how close we can get to it. But there's definitely a place for maybe trying to see if we can get a couple of these guys. You know, either immediately out in low, on loan in January uh, to, uh, to to League One teams where they can rapidly uh, get to get to grade, so they're an option for us next season, uh, assuming that we're back in the Championship, still in the Championship. Um, but also maybe on the bench. I mean, you know, Matt Penny is is, is one player who who kind of comes to mind, and you know, Wednesday have clearly got some some strong talent coming through the youth and, and the question has to be asked how are we developing and nurturing that talent to a point beyond just the success of an 23 team so I, I, I would like to see some more of that experimentation I think people who are calling for them to be infused into the first team immediately are uh, smoking something or, or just desperate but, but that's probably the position that we're getting ourselves into this season
1: Yeah I'm certainly curious about Matt Penny I'm curious about George Hurst I'm curious about the Bulgarian George Hurst but I think the gap I'm more likely to see that one. <laughs> I think the gap between, and this is a case really up and down English football. It's a point of pundit consternation. Is you know how do these young players get into first team squads? You see, with England's success in the youth level World Cups and European Championships in recent years, there's just no necessary pa- necessary path to first team action you know even in the championship in some cases you know is matt penny right now really better than kieran lee is that a, a notable upgrade or is it just change for change's sake
3: and there's the deliberation i
1: mean i mean he has to play somewhere don't get me wrong he all these you know if you think someone's good enough to get into the 18 right now you've got to get them first team football somewhere
3: I think the norm the norm is to get players out playing competitive football, yeah, so and, and because of the in. way that the the, the has as kind of occurred in in the UK, it's unlikely that you're going to get that in reserve team football. So you have to go out on loan. Like, um, the kind of the, the the kind of the destruction of what was a, a pretty good structure around reserve um, leagues, whereby you know both first team and developing players would kind of get mixed in, and and you got some experience up against kind of more. You know more experienced players, but but maybe coming back from injury that that just isn't part of the game anymore. So so the only route really is to go out on loan. But there are always exceptions, and uh, I don't like to point to the other side of the city, but but the young lad Brooks is is the exception whereby you know they took a look at him and they said actually you know he's probably ready. He's he's probably better than any other option we've got. So so let's let's rip up the rule book. Let's not put him out on loan at Chesterfield. I think he was going to go to in the summer and, and look what he's done so far this season. So. You've got to be bold when the player demands it. Oh, not sorry. Not when the player demands it. I think we've got our own experience of what that is like going on at the moment. But when the player's talent demands it. And yeah, you you just hope you have the players in the squad that, that, that give you that opportunity. Maybe we're actually over-inflating the capability of our of our under-23s right now and they're, they're not quite at that level. But if there's anyone that is on that cusp, then maybe we should give them a, a go from the suspension and see what happens.
1: Yeah, and you can throw them out in the last 15 minutes of the FA Cup match against, I don't know, Preston North End in January, but I don't know if that tells really anything anyway.
3: Are we, are we actually in the FA Cup? Still?
1: Do <laughs> yes, we qualify? I think we uh, get thrown into the hopper for the third round. Oh, no. It is very exciting, I know. Yeah. The magic of the cup, James. I can't wait. <laughs> For now, though, we'll turn the show over to our Dazed and Mumble line, then take a break. And apparently, according to this, again, lovely three-column agenda that James put together, because we're shorthanded this week, I am getting interviewed for the How I Became a Wednesdayite segment. So look forward to that.
0: Hey, what's up, guys? Name's Justin from Cape Cod. Uh, Berlin White on Twitter. Uh, I think Patty Jones actually knows my real name, thanks to the... uh, uh, ice challenge, uh, so I just wanted to drop a quick, uh, ice bucket challenge. I just wanted to drop a quick, uh, humorous story of life as an owl, uh, in New England. Uh, a few years ago I was working at a summer camp outside of Boston, uh, was at a bar after work and, uh, had a Wednesday shirt on and uh bartender turned out to be Irish, uh, Irish Irish, not Boston Irish, uh, you saw the shirt. We started chatting a little bit and talking about it and, uh, he kind of paused for a minute and says to me, you know, I think there's a Wednesday movie. And I said, no way. What are you talking about? He said, yeah, uh, Sean Bean's in it. And I didn't know what Sean Bean was all about at the time. So I said, shit, tell me more. And he goes on and tells me this whole story about this movie and everything. He says, you got to check it out. Yeah, I got to check it out. And then he pauses and says, you know what? I think it was about United. I just told him, fuck off, left him a tip, left the bar. That's how that is. Life is a Wednesday fan in in the USA. All right. Thanks for doing this, guys. Up the owls.
2: Welcome back to Al's AmeriCast, where I get to flip the script and interview our host. He's Jeffrey Paternostro. I hope I said that right. He's, he the, beautifully, good, he's the beautifully bearded, sooth sounding admirably adorable Connecticut native that knows more about English football than any American I've ever met. Jeffrey, the question that I hope you've prepared for, how did you become a Wednesdayite?
1: I'm well prepared for this. I think I spoke a little bit about it in our first episode but I can go into more depth here certainly. So I yep, did Yeah, that's the that's, that's the whole point of, of the idea. Yeah, we got to stretch it out yeah. a little bit. It's an abbreviated episode. We still got to get like, you know, 45 minutes at least. Um so as you mentioned, Evan, I did grow up in Connecticut And one of the more popular sort of general group X. Ex- you basically just put your children in netted shirts and have them run around for barely organized exercise uh so which was essentially youth soccer as i was growing up uh, i grew up actually nearby a large park that had a lot of soccer fields so about from the, about time i was six i was sort of just sent off there to play in slowly slowly more organized levels of sort of town soccer um, of course i grew up in weathersfield connecticut which uh, more eagle-eyed american soccer fans might know was also the home to at least when I was growing up, uh, former US MNT goalkeeping coach and US Women's National Team coach Tony DeChico, who actually sold me my first pair of soccer boots. And, Are you serious? Uh, yeah, and I went to school with his uh, son Anthony up until uh, eighth grade.
2: Well, that's awesome. And I I, mean, I know Anthony is inter- obviously still you. very
1: uh, still very active, sort of in uh you know American soccer coaching and and training and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, so so I actually got a chance to meet Tony D'Cicco. I worked for Challenger Sports who uh he partnered with with the Soccer Plus camps. And
1: so uh, I got soccer a chance Plus to meet was Tony. Where I bought my first uh soccer beat. It's Now, fortunately, it's now a hair salon in in the uh, in like the historic district of Bethesda, but at the time it was like a three-storied uh soccer supply store.
2: Well, that's awesome. That's great. And and obviously, you know, we we just lost Tony D'Cicco yeah. a couple of months ago and uh, it's a un, an unfortunate loss because he's a big figure in the the history of soccer in the United States. You know, so. he was
1: he was my like he coached me a couple of years like the under tens or whatever. I, I was his uh you know I was on a couple wow. of his teams in the youth league, and he really did sort of instill that sort of love of the sport for me. Um, that continues to this day on, on this podcast. But as far as uh, Wednesday goes, uh, I'm also in, in, in as one of my many athletic pursuits when i was young included bowling and every saturday morning i would also bowl in a youth league and right about the time we got home uh sports center i'm sorry not sports center sports channel which was the local regional cable station it eventually turned into fox sports new york and then i think something else afterwards but they showed all kinds of various random this was the late 80s early 90s so they showed all kinds of like random sort of sports they could buy the rights to and one of the things they had was a first division recap show so they would have basically like a it wasn't really a match of the week they'd show the highlights they'd show the table with sort of like just some stately british man in a studio and toning over you know the the 10 matches from the first division that week so i watched a lot of those highlight shows and uh not all that dissimilar to you evan um you know as an eight-year-old i liked the color blue and i liked owls that was my elementary school mascot so i decided that i was a sheffield wednesday fan and it certainly didn't hurt that i got to see like david hurst you know bagging goals from all kinds of crazy angles and you know roland Nilsson marauding down the uh flank with his lovely lovely period appropriate mullet and really from can, there jeff, jeff yeah. can you can you remember the first time that you saw wednesday
3: do do you actually remember the first game, the first time that you saw Roland Nielsen just absolutely
1: flying down the wing? I don't remember. So it's like it was again, it was like a highlight package. So it was just very it seemed very to like an you know, eight or nine year old at the time, there's sort of like a very genteel British thing. It seems like Nottingham Forest and Crystal Palace and Sheffield Wednesday and Aston Villa which as we've discussed before is not as posh as it sounds. But it just seemed very like I, so I don't have, like, a distinct, like, first memory. It's just... Obviously, John Harkes played there in that era, too, which is not really my direct connection. I think I actually became aware of that a little bit later on in my fandom. But it's just... It's it's not a specific game. It's just... A, I think it's just, like, a David Hurst hat trick or him just leathering something in from just outside the box. Um, and it would have been... I. I so my best guess, I actually did some research on this a few years back to try to figure out exactly, like, where my memories were leading me and, like, if I'm just, like, misremembering this. But there there was, in fact, a, a First Division recap show. It ran from about 90 to 93. So I'm guessing it would have been the year after they got promoted, the last year of the First Division before it turned over the Premier League. Which obviously so 91, was, 92, yes. when we, were, when we, when we, were we came good. back yes. into the old Division One, and we finished third, right? Yes. So I think that, you know, children are front runners i think by nature to a certain extent too so i'm sure that helped but i just decided at that point i was a sheffield wednesday fan and then the show went off the air and it was like this sort of vestigial part of me for for a while and then when i got to college you know i had t3 internet for the first time there was like as i recall maybe not my first year at college this would have been like early 2000s you could kind of at least get like results the same day so I followed it. I followed it that way. Obviously, not exactly the the best of our history. Um, so a lot of like the mid to late '90s, I wasn't really privy to. Uh, and then by the time I got out of college, they would occasionally like sort of after their initial promotion season back to the championship, those games would pop up on like very very early versions of what we now have as watch ESPN, ESPN three. Uh, they would get the occasional championship game. I do remember. I don't know if I talked about this on the uh, in the first episode or not, but I am fond of repeating myself on various podcasts, so I'm just going to do it again. There was like a, a, a game I got very excited to come home from work and see them play Watford, and like Watford immediately scored like two goals in the first like half hours. I recall. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to look it up. I don't care about spoilers anymore. We had lost like four. When I'm like, I'm not watching the rest of this. Swear um, jar. Yeah. Um, I think this is why
3: why Jeff became such an integral member of the New York Owls. Frankly, because that that type of experience is so formative in being a Wednesdayite. That by the time you then uh, you then got to know kind of the uh, the crowd of uh, lunatics that uh, that get together every week to watch us in in New York, you were you were you were just as cynical, if not arguably more cynical than we were.
1: So the funny story for that is I I'd followed Patty on Twitter for a little bit. Um... Only a little bit, then you defollowed, right? Yeah, <laughs> then I had to refollow again for political reasons, obviously. But uh, um, I ended up going to a match. I think that my first meetup, I think, was January like 2012 against Hall. I know it was against Hull. Um and I got there like it was like a I think it was like a late Saturday kickoff. So I got to the football factory a little early and like tried to figure out where the hell I was because obviously it's downstairs, and I sat upstairs at Legends for a while and this uh like college student comes in because he's doing his master's thesis or something on american soccer culture and he sees me wearing a wednesday shirt and he's there to interview an american wednesday fan so he assumed it was me it was not me it was i think actually our new jersey owl who was still coming to meetups at that time like oh there's another american wednesday fan and there was um, and we ended up winning that game. I think three one. That was the infamous. Uh, if you're a, a long time Wednesday Week listener, that was the infamous uh, glove face game, where the hall keeper was down for about like seven minutes into stoppage time, trying to I think trying to get a foul on a goal that never actually came, as I recall. And then obviously I met more uh, American Wednesday fans after that, and it just sort of kept uh, kept coming week after week, year after year. Month after month, seven fifteen kickoffs and the like, and I find now it's actually a little bit more difficult for me just because I feel bad I'm not getting down to the city as much, and because before I have to like plan my life around. Oh shit, we have a seven fifteen kickoff against Barnsley, you know, this Saturday, and it's to be the only game on for the next six weeks. I just got to go down for it, and now like I follow and, and ESPN three has kind of spoiled it a little bit.
3: So I was going to ask you that, Jeff, which is because I, you know, I personally know you from, from seeing you in far too many ignominious situations yeah. in in the basement of the football factory, which um, probably neither of us can remember. But, um, you know, as our Connecticut owl one of our Connecticut owls there are a few others. They don't necessarily declare themselves on, on regular occasion, but that the, the, there are other brethren out there in the in the good state that is Connecticut. What what does a match day look like for you when it's when it's not coming down to New York and, and sort of schlepping in on the seven, which is inevitably either delayed or just not running uh, to get to the football Factory, what, what do you do when you watch on iPhone at home?
1: Um, I, depending on the morning, like tomorrow, I'll probably roll out of bed around nine forty-five, get it set up so it mirrors on my TV downstairs. You know, make some eggs and toast or something like that, and you know, sit with my dogs and grouse on Twitter and just watch the game.
3: And then, you know, come 12 o'clock on Wednesday have triumphantly failed to uh, to get anything out of a nil-nil draw with Reading. Um, what, what does the rest it of the day look It does
1: ruin like? the rest of your weekend, really, as a general rule. So, like, it used to be, when we were going good the last two seasons, even when the games weren't on TV, like, I would, the first thing I did when I woke up Sunday morning was immediately grab my phone, go on to YouTube and watch the extended highlights. And if we lost, I didn't want to like see or hear about it for the like. It really does just ruin your weekend. Like I have stuff to do tomorrow. Like I got to mulch some leaves out front because we've been out of town for a while, and it just ruins your mood when they're not playing well.
3: Um, so this is why I kind of need to let let listeners into to our, uh, I guess kind of it's, it's like an internal monologue. I don't know if many of us give us give it voice, but. Jeff, I mean, you found Wednesday, as you said, through a highlights reel, but you, your experience of Wednesday and the way you are describing the feelings that Wednesday imbibe in you on a weekend, uh, whether we win or whether it's abject failure and, and, and the mood it puts you in afterwards, that is, I mean, ultimately, that that's what all of us feel, whether you're from, you know, particularly those people who are from Sheffield who would call themselves in the Wool Wednesdayites who've been kind of going to Hillsborough week in, week out for, for decades. And, and that, that's kind of the cool thing about... I think about your experience, but also a lot of the experience of people we're talking to on this pod, which is, you don't necessarily have to be from Sheffield or in Sheffield to feel that state of abject despair that Wednesday manages to instill in pretty much everybody who just decides to put any emotional
1: value into this club. Well, I guess um, by the same which, token, which seems I've,
3: like it's your experience.
1: Yeah, I guess by the same token, I must be crazier than you guys. I really have no excuse. Like I could at any point in this chain of events, I could have just said, eh, "Whatever, it doesn't matter." I'm a chelsea fan now i can watch them every week and and that's i hate those people though i really do like, isn't that interesting though
2: how you know there there are i think most most sports fans in the united states there's definitely a group that that aren't like this but most of us we we find a team that we love and we we can't escape it right it, it doesn't matter like for me i'm a big winnipeg jets fan a hockey fan and i watch every game that i can it makes no it makes absolutely no sense i should be a red wings fan they're only 2 hours away or a blue jackets fan they're only an hour and a half away but i love the jets and i cannot shake the jets from my dna it's it's so crazy how that we just can't you know i love wednesday so much my friends love manchester united and and chelsea and and I had a good friend that was a Newcastle supporter. I I can't do it. I can't change. I cannot do
1: it. You know, I tried when we were in League One uh, the last time to like like uh, I should at least like support a
3: whoa whoa, uh, whoa, whoa 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 Jeff
1: Jeff. Are you telling us that you you tried playing away? I tried to like I, I should am I like I should have a Premier League team that I at least like casually follow because I have I have teams in other league that I like like I'm uh I like Valencia. I try to I keep tabs on Valencia, obviously I'm no, no particular emotional investment there. My family's from Palermo, and I keep an eye on Palermo. obviously they're in the second division of Italian soccer now yeah,
3: yeah, but but those are kind of like fancy lists yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I, like are, are you telling me you flirted with somebody that we know So,
1: yes I actually so Aston Villa <gasps> I did oh, for, yes. like because uh, uh, uh we had uh, Ab on loan for a while. So I'm like, I, I kind of oh, liked him, so I'll keep an eye on him. Yeah. So it lasted about a year, and I'm like, yeah, this just isn't like. How far did it go, Jeff? It didn't. I so I own one shirt. Third,
2: third base, second base, home run. I own
1: Where'd one shirt that I donated to Goodwill like six years ago. Um. Did did how how often did you watch them? I mean, not very often because even then, this was before the NBC Sports came in. Did so the, did did you cheer? I didn't cheer. I just watched. Like I had, a I had a vested interest. Like in the same way, I might watch uh, a game this weekend and, and want. I don't know I'm going to watch. Probably was it Liverpool Chelsea is this weekend?
3: Jeff, Jeff, you're distracting. You're trying to get away from the issue. <laughs> I, I, I want to understand. Was did you enjoy it more,
1: <laughs> James? You sound like a jilted lover
3: i've never felt so hard, hard done by this is painful um yeah i mean what w- what was the experience like so so talk us through what happened
1: i mean you. not much like i'm like i'm just like i'm gonna i'm just gonna like keep an eye on them and like generally hope they're good. i didn't really like watch the matches of any particular interest but i'm just like i that's my like it almost like you have to keep in mind james at this point like the premier league almost felt like a continental european league it was so far away well, and we in, were in... toiling
3: in League One. I, 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 <laughs> I understand things weren't good. We were going through a rough patch. But what brought us back to Wednesday? What brought you back to Wednesday? I should say, because you know, some of us never left.
1: I mean, I was still supporting Wednesday, James. Let's be clear. I was, you know, in down in the pub leagues, even, and you know,
2: well, Manlo I'll defend. And... I'll defend you here, Jeff, because I think for Americans that that don't have an attachment to a city uh, in in England, that it's there's a there's definitely a coming of age to being a fan right you have to pick a team somehow or another you have to pick a team if you're going to be an english football fan okay and so you go through this phase where you're you're feeling things out you're figuring out what team you're going to support and eventually you come to a conclusion and that's just jeffrey's coming of age story james <laughs> just give him give him a break he he had to test the waters you know there were a couple uh, attractive broads out there, and, and
1: he picked okay, one I that were blue Aston, and white. I would not consider Astonville an attractive, <laughs> an actually attractive target, but... Yeah, I, mean, I you suppose well, you could make an, an obvious at observation at this
3: point, couldn't you? And you could uh, you could just simply ask the question, well, where are they now?
1: And, uh, and you'd say three places higher in the championship well, yes. league. Right I, mean, I, I, point, I enjoyed so. us taking them to the woodshed a couple of weeks ago, don't get me wrong. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, so what clinched the deal, Jeff? I mean, you, um, what you're basically saying is that Wednesday were your first love. Um, you, you followed, Look, followed through. I just wanted a, to follow a, a, a team sort of, a, a I could actually watch on occasion and you James. did straight, yeah. you came back right, and, and yeah. now you committed. So what, what changed?
1: Nothing changed. I'm saying I've always been a Wednesday I've just chose to follow a team in the Premier League as well. I did Briefly. not at any point in time declare a fandom, or like that was just my that was my Premier League team. You never went further than buying a shirt, and never went further than buying a shirt. I have to say, it was actually a nice shirt. Which which
3: which shirt was it?
1: Uh, it was uh, one of the gambling website ones. <laughs> oh, it wasn't the Muller Yogurt one. It wasn't the Muller Yogurt one. No, oh, disappointing. Mm.
3: That 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 would have had Ian Taylor inside it, and then you maybe could have uh, you could have made a, a case for it. The gambling ones are kind of late late nineties, early two thousand. No. Late 2010s. Oh, Jeff, this was like this was only about five years ago. No, all right, like all right, enough,
1: James. I think.
2: If I had to Goodness gracious, give him a break. He's he loves Wednesday. That's all that matters. You know, we've come we've come to this, and and he hosts one of one of three or four Wednesday podcasts, and uh, you know we can rest assured that Wednesday is his club forever and ever.
1: And I still watched every YouTube highlight of a Miguel, Miguel Yeris' goals in the uh, that season in League One. So, good man. We love you, yeah, ready, I, Jeff.
2: I think th- I think that does it for this segment. Good. I was, Al- was going to
1: tell you able... about wrap it oh. up, Evan.
2: <laughs> hey, no, I, I I wasn't used to wrapping segments up, so I figured um, I might as well give it a shot here. So, thank you, Jeff, for joining us on Owls of Americast. Hopefully, we can have you back soon, uh, but not too soon because you know we we like. We like it without you being the host, and um, yeah, thanks a lot.
1: Now it's time for Dispatches from American Soccer, and I have to say, at the outset, of this podcast, I wanted this segment to be like some fun, wacky thing, and just ended up being like very detailed USL analysis. But that season's over, and now we're back to the wacky stuff because uh, Evan Saul Campbell is interested in the US men's national team job.
2: Yeah, that's great. I'm uh, I I'm vaguely familiar with Saul Campbell. So when I started to get into watching soccer, he was playing, I think for portsmouth
1: uh, he did for a while in the
2: yes. late in the late 2000s yeah and i vaguely remember him coming back to arsenal in my senior year of high school and some people in my high school that liked arsenal were um kind of excited because he was this arsenal legend i suppose and i never heard anything past that so i'm uh, not too familiar with saul campbell past uh him playing for portsmouth and arsenal
1: well, obviously the interesting thing about Sol Campbell throwing his hat in, the jo- uh, hat in the ring for the U.S. men's national team job is that this is the entirety of his coaching career segment on Wikipedia, which I take to be more or less gospel. On 30th of January 2017, Campbell was named as Dennis Lawrence's assistant manager after the latter was appointed manager of the Trinidad and Tobago national team. And there's a so, <laughs>
2: here,
1: so I assume so, it's legit.
2: Uh, his Wikipedia profile is funny because there's also a, sec- a section in there that says, In February 2015, Campbell announced his intention to run for the Conservative Party nomination for Mayor of London in the 2016 election. The next sentence simply says, He was not selected as the Conservative candidate.
3: I'm so glad you mentioned that, Evan. because He is, he yeah. is a
1: well-known Tory. <laughs> yeah, I think this as is the, the only actor, thing that Saul Campbell is known for doing in the UK since he retired from now. Yes, I will say he is not currently listed on. You cannot currently bet on Sol Campbell to be the next U.S. men's national team manager, and God knows the USSF does not seem in any particular hurry to find a new one. But the current betting line favorite at one to two is a uh, a target of many consternated Wednesday fans right now. Sam Allardyce. I did see that, and I do think
2: that that would be more fun than anything. It would be fun. I think that the American media doesn't have much um, to get excited about when it comes to soccer, and I think that if Allardyce came over here, they would just absolutely love him. Grant Wall has no idea how
1: to handle this situation.
2: (laughs) I know. He would wrap them around his finger and, and play them like puppets, and it would be an incredible sight to see. Something we've we've never experienced in our entire lives.
1: I don't even know if he is like... So, I mean, obviously Big Sam has the thing that he does. If, you're, if your team is in trouble, if you're, you know, <laughs> West Ham and you decide not to hire David Moyes in an alternate timeline where you're slightly more competent, at those kind of things, or if you're where Everton is right now, that's going to be Barton O'Neill, which is also maybe not the choice i would have made uh you know he's your he's your parachute in and rescue you guy i don't know how he fares in a full like you know gold cup and then world cup qualifying situation or if he's just looking for his you know sinecure if he's really into american wines now you know either sonoma so, so let's some... ask this
3: question. This this question of the two of you then. So you know what, what style do you want the U.S. men's national team to play? I mean, are you kind of looking for a free-flowing, total football <laughs> approach? You know, kind of some something akin to kind of you know the the Dutch philosophy, but. Executed in the the Guardiola era, or oh you, yeah, absolutely. Are you looking that, for something yes. a bit more agricultural? You know, more kind of you know kick and shift, but with results associated so, with it.
1: I think you have to it, look at the it, situation. Um, you know, sort of the talent you have right now, uh, and the added there, problem there, is there's with only the
2: USSF. There, there's only one person with talent on our current squad. Yes. by the way. So
1: so if you're going to go for a British manager, the target is not the Sam Allardyce type; it's the Sean Dyche type. Not Sol Campbell. <laughs> Not Saul Campbell either, as far as I know, yeah. But, you know, Sean Dyche, you know Eddie Howe. But they're going to go for a known American name that's, you know, in the cigar club with them.
3: So, so this is kind of from the outside looking in, because I'm, I'm listening to you to talk, and yeah, you, you guys know far more about the inside track of, of U.S. soccer than I do. But wasn't Bruce Arena exactly that selection? You know, he was meant to kind of go back to the MLS kind of structure and say, you know... Let's just kind of dig it out. It, it hasn't worked out in the Klinsman era, and we're going to we're going to kind of go with form and go with structure and, and sort of play the political game. And, and we saw how it, that imploded. D- don't they need to take another risk at this point?
1: Yeah, they'll just keep probably doing that because it makes some money.
2: Okay, fair enough.
3: That makes yeah, sense.
1: Yeah, that. So, that
2: so has no chance. That arena hire was was awful. I mean, we we could go on and talk about American football, uh, American soccer. Excuse me for. Two hours, but at, at the end of the day there, there are a lot of things that need need changed we don't just need a manager we need a new president of of our federation we need uh, we need new players we need new everything and so the next manager is not just going to take the group we have and try to make them better. The next manager is going to have to completely rebuild the system and uh, I don't know if Allardyce is quite ready for something like that
1: <laughs> and I mean by the same token realistically, the next manager will probably get to. World Cup 2022 just because they should be able to qualify out of that group in 99% of situations and, you know, past that with the expanded World Cup field, you know, getting out of CONCACAF should not be a problem. So the... Yeah, to the, be on,
2: Sorry, but to, to be honest with you, if, if we're throwing out names for the United States men's national team manager, I think Caleb Porter comes to mind for me. He was the second Caleb. betting favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I didn't even know that. I know Porter just left... Uh, Portland, and we just talked, actually talked to some Portland Owls a couple weeks ago. Um, You know, he just left Portland, and it was kind of a uh, sudden decision or an abrupt decision to leave because they had a successful season. And Porter's a guy who he coached in college. He coached Akron University or University of Akron, however order that goes in. Uh, It's just a small school in northeast Ohio, and he took that team from, from nothing up to playing for you know national titles. And he had a couple really good players come out of there. And uh, then he moved over to Portland, and he's been very successful at Portland. I think he's a guy that can take some youth and, and do some really, really good things. And so I hope that, that he gets some, some strong consideration from whoever the new president is, who, by the way, will be a new president because it just came out that Sunil Gelati, or Gelati, however you say his last name, uh, the current president is not rerunning.
1: We finally decided to come out one way or the other on that. Cause he'd been kind of hedging, I think in recent weeks, right? We move from America back across the pond, as they say, and preview next week's match. Before we do that, James, you have a mea culpa to offer on behalf of Bristolians everywhere.
3: I do Jeff. Um, so, so last week I, uh, I issued a, a short preview of the, the city of Bristol in south-west England. And uh, it actually managed to trigger the most furious response we've had on the podcast today. In fact, the only furious response we've had on the podcast today. And in fact, I want to quote um, one of our listeners, uh, who goes by the name of uh, Robin Dalman. So, uh, hello, Robin. Uh, at Lonsride32 on Twitter. Who, uh, who said, who was at, whoever was speaking about Bristol is absolutely clueless. Uh, true true statement and then he followed it up by saying i live there which uh which means that i assume that he was sl- he was taking some issue with my description of bristol
1: i mean based on um, your description if he voluntarily li- voluntarily lives there i would question his judgment generally
3: well, well well based on my description yes but but i think that's where the mayor Colfer comes in so um, my, my only issue with one statement actually was the fact that it was issued to new york owls so i just want to point out to people that Owls Americas is a separate organisation and uh, we're, we're very, very fortunate to have Paddy in our ranks, but uh, we, we do try to be a bit broader. Um, but the, the mayor Culper is, I was probably a little bit hard on Bristol. Um, and in all honesty, I have a, a very good friend who lives in Bristol who's uh, one of the chief proponents of that particular city and, uh, and works very closely with a number of organisations who try to promote Bristol internationally. So pretty much everything I said was deliberately to spike him um, and it spiked him very well, so so it was pretty well received. Um, Bristol's actually quite a nice place, uh, quite a nice city, and I, I kind of skipped over a few of the more positive elements. I think Paul pulled me up on the music side, Shed and, uh, and Massive Attack, um, but I could have I could have talked about Isambard Kingdom Brunel and the uh, the Great Western Railway and the uh, the terminus of Temple Meads, or um, I could have I could have talked about Clifton uh, or the Bristol Balloon Festival, uh, which apparently people like it very much. Bristol's a nice city. It's not quite as good as Bath, but it, it's OK. If you find yourself in England, go to Bristol, you'll be fine. It's totally all right. Um, in contrast, Reading is where we're going on the weekend. Uh, so, so Saturday afternoon, Wednesday, I play in Reading at 3pm. I'm, I'm not going to really pull any punches here. Uh, I'm not even going to try and be nice. Reading is a shithole. Um, and it's a shithole for one very simple reason, which is that I spent 18 months there working when I was, uh, when I was in the UK. Long time ago, um, Reading is, is kind of like if you think of Metro Park, New Jersey, so a, a place that kind of exists purely for the the kind of the the purpose of supporting a corporate industry without any real residency or culture, uh, any history, uh, any purpose in life. But that's Reading in a nutshell. It's about thirty minutes outside of London um, by train. Uh, if you try and drive it, you'll get stuck on the M4 and you'll you'll end up somewhere in Slough, which is actually worse, remarkably. In fact, if you want to uh, look up Slough, you'll find it's the original location for the UK version of The Office, uh, which gave Steve Carell about 18 seasons of, uh, of success. Um, but yeah... Reading really doesn't exist for any great purpose other than the fact to allow people to, to live 30 minutes outside of London, commute to jobs in London and then to have somewhere to live at night. Uh, and I don't know anybody that lives there that's in their publicity or, or PR department. So I'm, I'm not really kind of holding back too much. Um, I spent 18 months there and I can't remember a minute of it apart from spending probably a little bit too much uh, on drinks in all bar one, which is not really something to lay any uh, any sort of claim to. Um and they have a football team there, Reading FC, who play in a uh, another one of these sort of out of town stadiums, the Mjelsby Stadium, uh, on the uh, on the edge of town, which is pretty uncharismatic. It's pretty flat, boring. When you go to the stadium, there's not much atmosphere. Um, and uh, and Reading really haven't really achieved much. They got promoted to the Premiership and promptly fell out of it. Uh, they had a good season last season and have probably kind of fallen even worse uh, and even further than Wednesday have done this year. Uh, apart from having young Kirdmont kicking around, they haven't uh, they haven't really. Done anything of any great note to be honest in the last quite significant amount of time. Um, so I honestly can't think of anything positive to say to Reading. It, Jeff at the top of the show you referenced Reading the Reading Festival. Uh, the Reading Festival is actually like the the second secondary version, the backup version of the Leeds Festival, which tells Wednesday nights everything they need to know, uh, because the Leeds Festival is kind of just a commercialised festival that isn't really on a par with Glastonbury. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. I can't think of anything else to say about Reading other than the fact that I wouldn't want to spend another second there if uh, people were willing to pay me to do so uh, and I don't think anyone is about to, so I ain't going back.
1: The only thing I know about Reading is there was like a viral post or tweet at some point where Reading was asking their fans not to wear their Manchester United shirts to games. Yeah, which sums it
3: up really. I mean they share the ground with the rugby rugby team. Not unlike uh, the conversation with Bristol last week, but um He's just very apathetic. I mean, if I if I take the sensationalism away for a second, the, you know, you, you look at a lot of the kind of the story clubs. Jeff, you were talking earlier on about you know how you kind of fell in love with English football through these romantic names: Sheffield Wednesday, Nottingham Forest, and Aston Villa. Reading FC is not one of those romantic names, and Reading as a place is not one of those romantic places. It's in the Thames Valley, but it's instantly forgettable if you uh, if you kind of if you move a few miles either either side, east or west, and and that's. That's kind of how it runs with the football club. They exist. They're in a, a salubrious part of the country, so they have some some rich benefactors. But th- there isn't a lot of heritage behind the club, and there certainly isn't a lot of kind of heritage amongst the fan base.
1: So, angry Reddingites, direct your tweets to Owls Americas or at Manhattan Owl. This has been Owls AmeriCast episode seven. Visit us at OwlsAmericas.com. You can email the show at OwlsAmericas at gmail.com and tweet the show at OwlsAmericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend, and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show, just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls America cast. Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent. We ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our Dazed and Mumbled line at 1-401- 307-1867. International rates do apply, but you can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. James, what are you thankful for this week? I'm
3: most thank, mostly thankful, I think, of the fact that I, uh, I managed to fly through the entire Ripswich game and didn't watch it in real time. Um, and I'm also thankful for the fact that American traditions such as cutting down Christmas trees take me to nice places that serve good beer.
1: Evan is on Twitter, at Ohio Owl. Evan, what are you thankful for this week?
2: Um, yeah, thanks, Jeff. I'm thankful for majestic English football club names. Uh, I was laughing when when james was talking about them because i have a buddy who said he's a bolton wanderers fan because he's a lion king fan and in that lion king there's a a line that says restless wanderer and he's a bolton fan because he used to sing it as bolton wanderers and uh that's how he became a bolton fan
1: and james you are giving me shit about how i decided to follow aston villa for a year Nobody ever sang that about Reading FC. That's all I'm saying. Uh I guess since Patty's not here, I have to do the meetups for this week. Fortunately, there's only one. Our New Orleans owls will be meeting up for the Reading game at Finn McCool's in Nollins as the Not actually say.
3: technically true, Jeff. So uh, uh, apparently there is a late breaking meetup oh. in Buenos Aires. Is uh, there? Which is Almost entirely forced by the fact that we've sent one of our own New York Owls brethren, Nick Hibbins, uh, down to Argentina. Well, we haven't is, really sent Nick, he, is Nick
1: ever in the country? Nick, Nick is on a permanent
3: round-the-world vacation. The last time he was seen, he was in Mexico City, and, uh, and now he's sort of heading his heading heading his way through various stag dudes in South America, uh, bachelor parties, gentlemen.
0: Mm.
3: Um, but yeah, he will be in Buenos Aires this weekend. He is literally in real time arranging his meetup with the Argentina Owls. So uh, if you happen to be in Buenos Aires and you're in Wednesday, get on Twitter. You may well find somewhere else to uh, to watch the Reading game. I hope it's
1: better than it sounds. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternastro and I'm very thankful for the multiple angle video on YouTube of Eddie Nuhiu scoring a 93rd or 94th, whatever it was, minute winner. Literally 15 or 20 different angles all there. For you to preview at your leisure. We'll be here back next week for another edition
0: of the Owls Americast.